Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. We're all in process, becoming something. Like a potter throwing clay or an artist mixing color, our lives are being formed. Different backgrounds and experiences blemished and cracked. Each day, an opportunity to move into or out of all that God has purposed. So the question isn't if we are becoming, but rather who are we becoming? And in this family, we want to go on the journey of becoming like Jesus. see you guys today. I'm excited to open up the scriptures. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter six. And if you don't, you can pop your hand up in the air. Someone would love to give you one. And if you don't have one uh, to read at home, take this one with you. It's our gift. We're going to be in Luke chapter six. And this morning, as we continue in our series, Becoming Like Jesus, I want us to consider a question, a very important question, a question so obvious that most of us tend to assume the answer without really taking time to ask and consider its implications. This is the question. Can we really become like Jesus? Can we really become like Jesus? Like, do we really believe that we can become like him, not just one day when we die, but right now? in this life? Or do we, as Dallas Willard suggests, understand faith and following after Jesus more like something that should make us different, but not something that actually does or can make us different? In our text today, Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Plain the same way that he ends uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. He, he ends it not with a feel-good encouragement, but with a crash. Would you go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to pick up in verse 6 of Luke chapter 6, 46. This is what Jesus says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's pray to prepare our hearts for the word that he wants to speak by his spirit and through his word today. Father, son and spirit, come and be with us now. God, I ask that you would stir up a holy discontentment in this room this morning. 
Would we grow increasingly discontent in being just hearers of the word and not doers of the word? Come, speak, convict, and move us by your spirit. Compel us with your love and goodness again. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Friends, I can't tell you how many bags of spinach I've thrown away. It's quite sad really, not to mention a waste, but as I cross into the produce section at Trader Joe's, I can't escape this conviction that I have. A conviction that's often buried deep underneath my chocolate chip cookies, my Takis and buffalo dip. A conviction that greens are good. They're good for me. And that conviction like clockwork compels me to reach out and grab yet another bag of spinach. This time, it'll be different, I tell myself. This time, you'll eat it. You'll you'll finally wake up early and make that smoothie that you said you were gonna make before you go into work. This time, it'll be different. You'll blanch it with that tangy lemon pepper for Tuesday night's dinner. This time, it'll be different. Yeah, yeah, get the spinach. It's healthy. Your body needs those nutrients and you like it. So I buy the spinach. I take it home and as I put it in the fridge, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I even start to tell some friends about these good greens that I'm gonna eat. I'm stoked about it. I start watching some healthy girl bloggers on Instagram tell me about their journey with spinach. I even like read some recipes where spinach is the star ingredient. I'm feeling good about myself. But then a month later, as I'm cleaning out the fridge, Of all the items that I had the best intentions of eating, there's the bag of spinach. And I take it on its monthly journey from the fridge to my trash can. Buying the spinach, believing in its nutritional value is not the same thing as eating the spinach. As a culture, by and large, we've taken some really great strides over the last few decades in seeing the rich value and necessity of awareness. In a 2019 article written by the Harvard Review, they state that self-awareness is a necessary ingredient for effective leadership. But the article doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, but awareness is only half the story. Self-awareness is useless if you don't do anything about the thing that you become aware of. Growing in awareness of the truth is essential. It's essential in the journey of becoming. It's essential in growing a particular skill. And this also applies to our discipleship to Jesus. But unfortunately, awareness is where most of us stop. In a lot of ways, culturally, we've grown content and complacent in stopping with awareness. Awareness feels good. Awareness is the birthplace of revelation. It's where that conviction starts to settle in and take root in the soil of our hearts and minds. But too often we confuse revelation with response. Dallas Willard says this, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of the human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Ow. We intend what is right, 
but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. In other words, just like buying the spinach isn't the same thing as eating the spinach, hearing the words of Jesus isn't the same thing as putting them into practice. As I've been meditating on these words of Jesus in Luke chapter six over the last few weeks, I've found his question to the disciples to be incredibly confrontational and convicting. Jesus asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? Let's be clear, Jesus, he's not calling out a cultural current that's easy for us to get swept up in. He's not pointing out a problem with them out there. No, he's talking to his disciples and a crowd of people who have gathered to hear him, to listen to his words, who were hungry for healing. He's pointing out a problem in the people that were right in front of him. People like you and people like me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus' question holds up a mirror to my hypocrisy, our hypocrisy. Jesus is calling our attention to the fault line that it exists in many of our foundations. He's giving voice to an issue that we need to wake up to. And Flora Wollner, she points out this problem that all too often pervades the church by saying this, where is our Christ? who is alive and lives in power. In the preaching of our churches, he has become a beautiful ideal. The church has become an organization of well-meaning idealists working for Christ, but far from his presence and power. Sheesh. For those that are content with engaging Jesus in the theoretical and not the practical, for those whose confession is empty of obedience, which is just about all of us to one degree or another, this text is a wake-up call and a warning. In Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, he's been speaking in pairs. He talks about two trees, two kinds of people, two Paths, and all of the pairs portray two different ways of living. The wise way, which leads to all of the security and satisfaction that we long for. And the foolish way, which inevitably and tragically ends in destruction. In the parable of the two builders, Jesus is warning us that one path will always be found wanting. This is his warning. Storms are coming. Luke 6 verse 48 says, when a flood came. Jesus doesn't say if the flood comes. He says when the flood comes, when the tragedy strikes, when the betrayal cuts, when the news comes, when the plan falls apart. Storms are a fact of life. But whether or not you are gonna make it through that storm is not. Your foundation, what you build your life on, determines if you'll still be standing after the storm. And storms, storms have a powerful way of revealing whether your life is built on a firm or a faulty foundation. Let's get just a bit more personal. How do you respond? How, how, do you, how do you respond? What does your response reveal when the person you voted for doesn't get elected? 
When the promotion or the pay raise that you were banking on doesn't come through. When the people that you trust the most hurt you the deepest. When a pandemic hits and the loneliness starts to settle in. When you can't escape your desperation, what do you do? In the Old Testament, we see this pattern of what Israel does with their desperation. They cry out to God, God responds, but then the Israelites time and time again replace their desperation for God with dependence on things that are more tangible, stuff that requires less faith. And brothers and sisters, we tend to do the same. Like the Israelites, we too have the same tendency to cling to what we can see, mistaking it to be something solid enough to hold us up in the storm. The summer of 2019 was a turning point in my life. It was one of those seasons that was characterized by that saying, when it rains, it pours. Two tragic and sudden deaths happened in my family, one by car accident and one by suicide. And this all happened while I was still very much finding my footing in a new city, this city. I was navigating new friendships and the ever-changing challenges of life with the disability, all the while wanting really badly to crush it at my job here at the church. But the harder I tried to get everything out right, the harder I tried to manage the pressure with perfectionism and good performance, the more the anxiety grew. And it grew and it grew until it broke something inside of me. I was in a tangled mess of insomnia, anxiety, and depression. And I'm not talking about a few tough weeks of bad feelings. I'm talking clinically diagnosed by a professional, depression and anxiety. It was a darkness unlike anything I had ever known before. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It was a storm that no matter how much I acknowledged the very real chemical imbalance that I was dealing with and that needed to be treated and was being treated, this storm revealed a crack in my foundation. There was a part of me that was building my life on the toxic combination of the opinions of man and the quality of my performance. And it worked for a while. A long time actually. When I was doing good and people said good things, I felt strong. But when the panic attacks paralyzed my performance, the crack in my foundation was exposed, a crack so big that if I didn't get into the crawl space of my life, it would only consume me. As awful, truly awful as that season of life that lasted about six months, was for me and for Jordan and our families. I know and I know that your career cannot hold you up. Your status can't hold you up. The money can't hold you up. The accomplishment, accolades, and academy cannot hold you up. The next thrill, the next high, the next vacation cannot hold you up. There's no person, plan, politic, 
or platform that is strong enough to hold you when the storms of life hit and they are gonna hit. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, whoever builds his foundation on the rock, not a rock, but the rock is the one who will still be standing when the storm passes. Friends, Jesus doesn't save you from the storm, but he does promise to see you through it. Jesus in this passage, he's not just warning us, he is inviting us to stand firm by building our house on the rock, by building our lives on the rock. You wanna know something cool? This is gonna sound weird, but it's true. Rocks can talk. The rocks that we come across in the scriptures tell us about the rock that Jesus is calling us to construct our lives upon. In Genesis 28, Jacob. Jacob lays his head on the rock and he falls asleep and he has a dream. And when he wakes up from that dream, he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not even aware of it. Yeah, rocks can talk. That rock testifies to the God who is with us even when we are not aware of it. We have never lived a moment where he has not been with us at the lunch table, in the meeting, folding clothes, in the hospital room when you're at rock bottom or start of something new. Jacob's rock reminds us that the Lord is with us even when we don't even know it. Remember that rock in Moses' story? God's people were thirsty. So God said to Moses, speak to the rock and water will rush out of it. But Moses got angry and in his anger, he chose not to speak to the rock, but he struck the rock. But even still water came pouring out of that rock. What is that rock telling us friends? That rock tells us that our God is gracious even when we mess up the plan. That rock testifies to the amazing grace of God that never runs out. And then there's Samuel's rock. That rock that he raised up, that rock called Ebenezer, which testifies to the God who has helped us get this far. Samuel's rock reminds us that we have made it this far and the same God that brought you this far is faithful to see that work to completion. He's the one that carries you. That rock testifies to the one who is our helper, the one who intercedes on our behalf at every piece and part of that journey. But these rocks are just witnesses to the rock, the greater rock, the rock of which the scriptures say, upon this rock, I will build my church and nothing, not even the gates of hell can overcome it. This is good news, friends. Even when God's people missed and mocked the very Messiah that they were longing for by burying the rock inside of a rock as Dr. Reverend Charlie Dates proclaims, not even the rock that housed the rock could hold the rock because he's the rock in a dry and a weary land. And that rock says, I can't contain the rock. Someone give an amen. Are you here this morning? Oh my gosh, Jesus is the rock, the rock that resurrects every dormant, disease, distorted, demonic piece and part of your life. He's done it before, he'll do it again. Jesus is the rock of our foundation, of our salvation. And brothers and sisters, yeah, some of y'all are awake. Brothers and sisters, as we wait for the full and final effect of his resurrection power to come, we don't wait 
or mourn like that, those who have no hope. Instead, we stand in agreement with the Psalm of David that declares, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. We wait and in that waiting, we heed the herald of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 28 that says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Like Paul in our waiting, we declare that Christ is our cornerstone. In him, we live and move and have our being. In him, the whole building, that's you and me, friends, are being fitted together, being built together into a dwelling of God and the spirit. In the waiting, we remind our souls that he is the Psalm 40 God who pulls us out of the pit of pain, devastation, and disillusionment and provides himself as the firm foundation, the rock for our feet to stand firm on. And how do I know this to be true? Because he's the Psalm 18 God who declares, for who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He provides a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. Jesus is the rock, our firm foundation. There is no lasting security or satisfaction that can be found outside of God, the rock. To build upon anything else is to get stuck in the sandy sinkhole that promises only to drown you in destruction. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So how do we build our lives on the rock? I'm glad you asked. Luke 6, verse 47, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, that's how you build on the rock. Jesus says, come, but don't stop there. Hear, but don't stop there. Practice, practice what you're hearing. Let it move from your head into your heart and out through your hands and in your feet as you walk each and every day that is a gift of being alive. Jesus isn't talking about a one-time decision to believe in him. His warning is not solely about the future judgment day and whether or not you prayed a prayer one time because you heard and agreed with who Jesus says he was. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just one of forgiveness of sins, but one of new life that starts in the here and the now. The verb tense used in Luke 6 proves this. A more accurate way to read the words of Jesus would be like this, as for everyone who comes and keeps coming, Everyone who hears and keeps hearing, practices and keeps practices, that is the one who builds their life on the rock of which it is the only firm foundation. Obedience isn't a one-time decision of 
of belief that he exists. It's a daily dependence, a constant confession, a habitual hunger, an embodied belief that practically shapes our everyday lives. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Jesus' words in the message. He says, but if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who builds a house but skipped the foundation. So how do we build our life on the rock? We respond to his word. We respond to his word. Dr. Reverend Charlie Dates again says, you can build your life to withstand the inevitable disasters of life only if you choose to obey his words. It's not enough just to think about his words, listen to his words, talk about his words. We have to practice his words with our actual bodies. Putting the words of Jesus into practice is to stand on a foundation that stabilizes all of life. So what's the answer to that first question that we asked? Can we become like Jesus? Like for real? The answer is yes. We can become like Jesus and practice is the vehicle of our becoming like Jesus. Don't miss this. Practice is the vehicle of our becoming like Jesus. When I was praying through this text in my office in preparation for today, I had to stop and examine my foundation. And and hopefully the words of Jesus as we've been unpacking them together today are starting to compel you to do the same. This text is an invitation to excavate our lives, to examine, to examine our foundations. Man, we know this is important. When we buy a house, ain't nobody gonna buy a house without getting an inspection, right? That inspection matters. And and the, the, the biggest thing that a house inspector, a good one at least, is inspecting is how solid the foundation is. And you're only gonna know that if you do an inspection. And so I'm sitting in my office and I'm like, okay, I need to do some inspecting. And the spirit brought Psalm 139 into my mind. And as I started to read it, I started to notice something. This Psalm starts the exact way that it ends. It starts by acknowledging this truth. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. The Lord knows. He knows, he knows everything about you and your life. He is the all-knowing God, that is true. But then the end of the Psalm says this, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. The psalmist isn't content to sit in the awareness that God is all-knowing. He comes before God and says, tune me in. Test me. Help me see what maybe I don't currently see. And so as I'm sitting in my office and he brings this scripture to mind, I start to realize that this Psalm, this prayer is the place of excavation, the pathway to the excavation that I need the spirit of the living God to do in my life so that I've got something solid to stand on. 
So I say, search me, God. What do you want to show me? And he does. And for me, he showed me, hey, Shelves, you and I have been talking a lot about how hard it is for you to forgive. I'm not someone who's quick to forgive. You can ask my husband. And so he brings that into my mind. I'm sitting in that awareness. But then he takes me deeper. I don't know. I, I start to pray, God, I don't want to be that way. I, I, I want to be different. I want to be quick to forgive. I believe that your word says that that's a better way to live. But there is something that's standing in the way and I can't fix it in and of myself. So Holy Spirit, And so he just starts to reveal what's at the root of it. And he doesn't do that by shaming us. He's so compassionate. I just started to hear the still small voice of the spirit say, you have a hard time forgiving because you wanna be the best. And when someone's wronged you and you let them know that they've wronged you, it makes you feel like you're better. I'm just like, okay, spirit, help me. I don't wanna live that way. And in my office, it was a holy moment. I'm glad Tom and Lexi didn't walk in. I'm just sitting there. I'm undone. He starts to stir up a holy discontent within my heart. And I don't know what else to do other than pray, okay, Holy Spirit, help. And in his kindness again, not in shaming me, he, I, I just sensed him say this and I wrote this down. It's like he gave me a picture of eternity and he said, hey, Shelves, your name is not gonna be the one that people cry out from now into eternity. You're gonna be singing praises to my name, not yours. So how about you get good at doing that now and not wait? (laughs) I say, yes, God, help me. But even that, friends, even that, I was feeling pretty good after that. I'm like, I just had a moment. I just had an encounter with the spirit of the living God. And again, that's where most of us are content to stay. But this passage calls us deeper. It's not the same to sit and revel in the revelation. I have to go and apologize to my husband of whom I'm holding a grudge over. I've got to go talk to the friend that, that, that has hurt me and practice forgiveness. We can't sit in the awareness. Jesus says there's more. And becoming like Jesus, being his disciple, means to not just hear his words, but putting them in to practice. We have to move. We have to move. This, friends, this is how we build our lives on the rock. How many of you, you're starting to sense, yeah, I want my house to be built on the rock because I'm in a storm. I am in a storm and I need something solid. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Today, the invitation is to open yourself up to the excavation that the Holy Spirit needs to do to get into the crawl space of your heart 
so that you can stand on Jesus Christ, the rock, the only firm foundation. And so as we close right now, here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna make some space. We're gonna make some space for the spirit to search us and to know us. And so right now, go ahead and just clear everything off of your lap again. God reveals things to us in his kindness. He convicts us and moves us to repentance because he loves us, not because he's mad at us. He doesn't use shame as a tool to convict us, it's his kindness. And so, in the quietness of your own heart, just to begin to invite the Spirit to be present with you. Come Holy Spirit, tune us in, make us aware that you are with us. Acknowledge the truth that he is the all-knowing God. You have searched us, God, and you know. But now we jump to the end of Psalm 139 and pray the same prayer of David. Search us, Lord. Tune us in. So just begin in the quietness of your own heart to ask the Spirit to reveal any particular crack in your foundation that he wants to call your attention to. Holy Spirit, would you show us? Tune us in. God, stir up a holy discontent in this room right now. Would we not be content to sit in our awareness? Would you move us to act? So let's ask the Spirit, how are you inviting me to respond? Is there anything that today I need to do a conversation that I need to have before I take the bread in the cup. Tune us in, God. Give us the courage that we need to move from awareness into action. Thank you that you are with us. And there's not a day that we'll experience where you won't meet us there. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.